Thank you so much for your support. Yes, you, how you are supporting this orality ministry across Sub-Saharan Africa. Orality, in the simplest definition, is that people that have a reliance on the oral or spoken word as opposed to the written word for communication. We've seen how people groups for centuries to pass on their culture, to pass on their wisdom to the next generation, they rely on storytelling or music or drumming or dance. These art forms to pass down knowledge in, in this oral preference way. So realizing all of that, we're using God's word in a narrative or a Bible storytelling mode to transmit truth through scripture. Uh, as you give to the cooperative program, as you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that supports our work, and we thank you. Our goal this year is for Lottie Moon is 15,000. I think right now we're coming to a total of a little over 10,000 at this point. So just continue to be praying with God whenever you can, because Lottie Moon, again, 100% of that offering goes directly to those missionary agencies and helps them with their ministry.
It is so good to be with you. Merry Christmas to everybody this morning. Merry Christmas this morning. So glad you could be with us this morning. Listen, if you have your Bible, let me invite you to uh, turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke in chapter 2. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we jumped off into this uh, small series throughout the month of December. Just talking about what it meant was going to happen that because of Christmas. And so two weeks ago, we talked about because of Christmas, uh, we can live a life without fear. Because of Christmas, we can live a life without fear. Well, today, we're going to look at another example of what the meaning of Christmas is and and what's going on. And and we can understand this, that because of Christmas, we can live a life with great anticipation. We can live a life with great anticipation. You know, one of the things that happens on Christmas Eve is, uh, I'll say one of the things, okay? One of the things that happens on Christmas Eve is we walk around with great anticipation, right? You've got children that are anticipating what's happening the following morning. Uh, You've got adults anticipating trying to get everything done to get ready for whatever's going to be happening in the near future or the next day. You may be an adult that's walking around with anticipation of, okay, here's my anticipation. I'm trying to get through it so that I can get to the 26th. Um, All of us have some kind of anticipation that we're dealing with. But here's the true meaning of what we're talking about. Christmas is meant for us to have a reflection and a rejoicing time to live a life with great anticipation this morning. We looked at two weeks ago, we looked at the shepherds, and they had been living a life with anticipation that there was a potential that a Savior would be coming. The angels show up on the scene and tell them, do not fear. They tell them about Emmanuel, God with us, being born in a stable. You need to go, you need to rejoice. And so the anticipation level hit a crescendo for the shepherds, for the wise men, even for those that believed in and around Jerusalem. And now, we, we, here we are in 2023. What does it mean for you and I to live a life with anticipation? Listen, if you're a believer here today, the anticipation of Jesus coming, his birth, we can celebrate that tomorrow, but he's already done that, right? He's already come into the world. And so our anticipation moved to a whole different level. And this is what we're going to focus on today for just a little bit. What I want to do this morning is I want to give you two very clear examples of what it means to live a life with great anticipation. Look with me in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. Jesus has been born. The shepherds have come. The night has been celebrated, the days have passed, and Mary and Joseph are about to take baby Jesus into the temple complex for uh, his presentation to the priest. And in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, we meet a man by the name of Simeon. And it says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, if you write or highlight your Bible, look at these descriptive words about Simeon. It says in verse 25 that he was righteous, it says that he was devout, and that he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. Now, when it says that he is righteous, this is what he's talking about. Luke is defining him as righteous as one who is conformed to God's expectations. He lived in a right relationship with God. Luke says that he is devout. That means that he feared God. He showed reverence for God. He took God's promises seriously. Luke describes him as a man looking forward to Israel's consolation. It's a, it's a time of comfort and hope. This is what he's longing for, a time when God would send some form of comfort to his people. Simeon knows what the prophet Isaiah has spoken of, and he's anticipating 
his Savior come. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord Messiah. God kept his promise to a man known in history only because he waited obediently for God to keep his promise. Now imagine this. We pick up reading here in Luke chapter 2. And as we're reading the story, what we call the Christmas story, a man named Simeon shows up on the scene. Simeon is not mentioned anywhere else. Matthew doesn't mention it. Mark doesn't mention it. John doesn't mention it. But here in the history and the birth of Jesus Christ, Luke takes time to mention him. And he's mentioned in the context of one who is greatly anticipating the birth of Jesus Christ. So much so that he's willing to do whatever it takes. He understands that God has given him something. He also understands what Isaiah has said to him. And for 700 years, 700 years, God has said, I'm going to send a Savior. And Simeon believed this. He anticipated this day because the Lord had promised it to him. And so Simeon waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. You see, for Simeon, he realized that there was only one thing worth excitement over. And for Jesus, and can I tell you here today, listen, if you're in this room or you're within the, this, the shot of my voice, can I tell you, there is nothing in your life that's worth waiting for other than Jesus Christ. Listen, if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, all, all these other things that you're waiting on in life, if you're waiting on a better job, if you're waiting on a better situation in your life, if you're waiting on something better financially, if you're waiting on a better uh, relationship, whatever it may be in your life right now, listen, all of those are secondary compared to the anticipation of waiting on Jesus. And you say, well, Robert, we're celebrating Christmas. We're reflecting on the fact that Jesus is, his birthday is tomorrow, you know, like this is what we're anticipating. No, this, this is not what I'm talking about. We are celebrating the birth of Jesus tomorrow. We're anticipating Jesus' return. And there's a big difference. Listen, if you are here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we no longer have to live our life in, in anticipation of Jesus' birth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, because all of that has already happened. Our faith is already solidified in that. You want to see the fruition of your faith? You begin to anticipate his second coming and live a life that is worthy of that. But here in Simeon, living a faithful life because he's anticipating Jesus showing up. And look what happens in verse 27. He says, guided by the Spirit, this is Luke, guided by the Spirit, he, being Simeon, entered the temple complex. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Jesus was what Simeon had longed for and looked for for all of these years, and salvation and the deliverance of his people was coming, promised by the prophet Isaiah. He believed it. He anticipated it. He longed for it. And now he is staring this Messiah in the face. So much so that he begins to quote the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 5 tells us this, And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Isaiah chapter 52, be joyful, rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Simeon knew it. Simeon believed it. Simeon was anticipating it, and now he was seeing it come to fruition. Verse 33, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and told them, Brother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, and the thoughts of your heart will be revealed. And Simeon continued his blessing, not directing it to the parents, which would have been very conditional. Let the priest and let those inside the temple complex bless the parents of those that have brought this child. This is not what Simeon was doing. He was pointing the blessing toward God. And the words were very harsh. Because even Simeon was recognizing what the Savior was going to have to go through. There was pain. There was separation. And Israel was going to have to fall and fail in the face of Jesus before they would ever rise as his. Jesus was the symbol of salvation. He would be mocked and he would be laughed at. this and he saw the reality in which it was. But this had to happen. In order for you and for me to be here today celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, listen, Simeon had to anticipate that the Savior was going to come, and he did. We celebrate this, we reflect on this, and we believe that Jesus came to the earth, but we cannot forget to understand that we have to anticipate the second coming. See, because of Christmas, we celebrate his birth, but also because of Christmas, we anticipate his second coming. Let me show you just a second example of this very quickly this morning, beginning in verse 36. Again, we have another character that comes on the scene, not mentioned any other place, and we find a lady by the name of Anna. Verse 36 says, there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day and fasting through prayer. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Here again, Luke gives us some descriptive words for Anna. She was a prophetess. She was along in age and a lot of experience. She had been married for seven years, but had been widowed for 84. She was probably well over 100 years old, but she made the temple her home. This is where she worshipped. This is where she prayed. This is where she fasted. This was her occupation. It was serving those that came into the temple complex. And she recognized what God was doing in the person of this baby. And Luke tells us that she began to thank God and then to speak about him to all who were looking on. You see, you need to understand the scene here. Whenever Mary and Joseph walked in with the baby, it wasn't just the three of them, and then all of a sudden Simeon shows up, and all of a sudden Anna shows up, and the high priest is there. Listen, the temple would have been filled with people. There were people from all nations and all tribes that were trying to get into the temple complex and the places that they were allowed to go to worship the God that they believed that they were there to worship. 
And all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph walk in, and they're making their way through the crowd. They're, they're pushing others out of the way, and Joseph is trying to get to the front of the high priest so that they can have their child blessed. And here's Mary, and here is Joseph, and they're, and they're so young, and they, and they want to believe that this is the Jesus that God has promised them. But even in this moment, they still don't understand completely who Jesus is. But they're trusting and they're believing, and all of a sudden a man comes up and begins to look at Jesus in the face and begins to bless him out loud and begins to talk about the rise and fall of Israel. And now all of a sudden there are people probably gathering, trying to understand what's happening. And then Anna shows up on the scene, and then she too begins to tell everybody that's around what's going on. There's probably a little chaos happening there. All of the redemption stories that we've heard passed down from the prophets, all of the, the things that have happened in the law, all of the things that, that these high priests have been teaching us, all the things that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been talking about, even these men that we don't even follow all the time, they've been talking about the redemption of Israel. Here he is. And for more than 100 years, this woman has lived her life in anticipation of this moment. children of Israel would finally over generation after generation and year after year the promise that God had made to them would finally end with death. So the call is on you. What are you waiting on this moment? Wouldn't it be fair to say that if we started in the side of life we just begin to find our way around? <laughs> Probably everybody here would be waiting for this moment. And that list is really, really long. Probably some things that are really difficult. There's probably some things that you're anticipating, you're excited about. There's probably some things that you're just waiting on God to give you the final thing to do. The anticipation level is high, and maybe it hurts some moments. We've got prayers out there, and we're waiting on the real answer. We've got questions out there, and we're waiting on hearing the answer. We've got promises out there that we feel like have been given to us, and we're just waiting on them to come to us. Greatest game that Satan plays is this as he begins to put those questions in our mind. Is he going to leave? Is he going to finish it? Is he going to fail? Is he going to be so disappointed? Can I just tell you one thing that I've learned and I've learned for a lot of you, and I'm sure many of you can give testimony to this, is that God has been really good at making us wait.
until I finally come back around and run to him, or I can wait on him and say, God, I don't like it, I don't care for it, it's not for me, but because you said it, I trust you. And so I said it, and I will. And whatever you do, and you make it happen, the only person that gets the glory Isaiah speak those words into 700 years later before the Messiah was born. Because when it was all said and done, God wanted everyone to know this is by my hand. It is by my power. And it's because of my love that I've sent my son into the world to be your Emmanuel, your God with you. No one else gets the glory. No one else gets the love. No one else gets to be able to, to claim victory. It is mine and mine. so many all over the country. One of my favorite writers is Mark Batterson. He's a pastor up around the Washington, D.C. area. In one of his books, he wrote this. He said, God never calls us to do something we're capable of. God calls us to do things that are beyond our ability so that he gets all the credit. This is why we wait. This is why we anticipate. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Why? Because he didn't turn to God father waited on the prodigal son. Paul sits in the jail cell waiting to be rescued. The children of Israel are waiting to enter the promised land. In the Old Testament alone, God's people are told to wait on the Lord 43 different times. You see, seasons of waiting are seasons of growth. And the waiting is difficult. And the waiting is hard. But it doesn't change the end result because God is in control. Listen, this morning, one of the questions is going to come. What you're saying, Robert. I get the example of Simeon. I get the example of Anna, and I understand that I'm supposed to be waiting and I'm supposed to be anticipating the return of Christ, but but this waiting is going to kill me. How can I wait? Listen, I can't tell you how to wait, but Scripture's clear. The psalmist probably said it clearer than any other writer in three different times. He says, Look, here's how we need to wait on the Lord. We need to wait quietly. Psalm chapter 62 says, let, let all that I am wait quietly for me, for my hope is in him. But Simeon, direct conflict with the world. Why? Because the world wants us to do everything loudly and boldly and boisterously. The psalmist says that to wait on the Lord, we wait quietly. It also says that we wait patiently. Psalm chapter 130, I wait for the Lord. I wait because my hope says, wait expectantly. Psalm chapter 37, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. You see, Simeon and Anna were there. They were waiting expectantly on a Savior to be born, and they were able to see Him face to face, and they celebrated that. For you and for me, on this Christmas Eve, we are waiting reflectively on what we're going to do tomorrow. We're reflecting on the fact that Jesus was born and we celebrate his birth. But from this point forward, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are called to wait expectantly on his return. And in these seasons of waiting that we're doing that, we are called to wait quietly, to wait patiently, to wait expectantly, to be about his work, serving other people. 
loving those people around us, being a witness to those in our work and in our schools and in our neighbors, serving Him full of faithfulness, giving and doing the things that we should be doing because of the lost and dying world all around us. Tomorrow is going to come and go for so many in our world and they're going to say, Merry Christmas, and have no idea that you mean the Christmas. It's another day. They get presents, they have a ton of food, they get up on Tuesday and they go right back to work on Monday. But for you and for me as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not just another day. We're reflecting on the fact that Messiah has come. We celebrate like Simeon. We praise the Lord and thank God just like Anna. But we're looking forward to the day that Jesus returns. Listen, this is what Christmas means to us. It is a jumping off point, getting ready for when He returns. We're not waiting on the Savior to be born. We're waiting on the Savior to return. We do it expectantly. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 says, Look, He's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see Him, including those who pierced Him. And all the families of the earth will mourn over Him. This is about all kinds of celebrations and it is about all kinds of memories and all kinds of emotions. One of the things that I love about the Christmas season are the songs that we sing. Solomon is one of my favorite songs. One of my other favorite songs is Joy to the World. Isaac Watts was the composer of that song. He was born in 1674. He wrote over 750 different hymns and he wrote Joy to the World in 1719. I find it interesting as I do a little study about Joy to the World, it only comes about at Christmas time, but Joy to the World wasn't written anticipating the birth of the Savior. Joy to the World was actually written based off of Psalm chapter 98 and Psalm chapter 96 where it says, Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it redound. Let the fields and everything in them rejoice. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy. You see, when the composer Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World, it wasn't anticipation of the birth of Jesus, it was anticipation of his coming again. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Listen, if you are here this morning and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then we can truly sing joy to the world. It may make us a little nervous. It may even be a little scary to try to anticipate when Jesus returns. We don't have all of the answers for that, but we can rejoice because as a believer in Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and that you will be called in the Lord to come for all eternity. This is what we're anticipating. Listen, the other thing that I just being transparent this morning is on Tuesday when I go sit with my mom and my dad for Christmas. You know, one of my most favorite things about going to my mom and dad for Christmas is that when I walk in the dining room, my mom, for whatever reason, thinks that this is the time of year when we bring out the good chocolate. It's the best of the best. She's had it for 50 years. She's got it for mom's chocolate, grandmother's chocolate. It's the only time that we eat on that time. You got to hand wash it. Some of you are shaking your head. You don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't go to me this way. Don't go to me this way. But when I walk in, the dining room table is set. The 
multiple forms of the good kind of coming to you the Lord is like the same thing. So I just want to keep the invitation open. So when I walk in, I know exactly where I'm going to sit because there's there's the same place at the table that I've sat every time that I've shared the gospel. Whether I've been 22, whether I've been 2, whether I'm 32, 42, I have the same place at the table. Because that's the place that my mama prepares me to be with the Lord. And every single year at this time, I think about that and I think about the anticipation that I have for Jesus coming again. And when I was seven years old, I gave my life to Christ. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And you know what happened on that day? Jesus became Lord and Savior. The other thing that happened that day, he began to prepare a place at this table. And there's a place there that has my name on it. And whether I leave this earth before he returns, or in great anticipation, he shows up and calls me home along with all the brothers and sisters in the world at the same time. When I step into his kingdom, I'm going to see a place at the table that matters. And we know this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper, this is what this is. It's a time of reflection for what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and continues to do for me. But it's also a time of great anticipation because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this supper that we're taking today is nothing compared to the great feast that we will have at the place that He's prepared for us to come. So if you're here this morning and you know that you're a believer, there's no doubt in your mind that you have given your life to Christ. Listen, we live with great anticipation of the day that we sit with our Savior. That we sigh and we groan and we be patient. Loved ones that have gone on before us. We get to pull up a seat at a table that has been prepared for Jesus to come to. Maybe you're here this morning and you came to church just because it's something to do. Maybe you tuned in online just because this is what you think is the place to be on a Sunday. Can I tell you something? That Jesus paid the price for you. He was born. He could be the sacrifice for you. If you've got sin in your life, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you do things that are not in accordance to God's word, listen, you're, you're, you're traveling down a very dangerous path. But the reason Jesus came is so that you could be saved. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, listen, this, this meal that we're about to take, this is not for you. This morning, if you're a believer, in just a minute, we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the juice and we're going to, we're going to pass that. It's a time of reflection for what Jesus did on the cross for us, but it's also a time of great anticipation for when we sit with Him in heaven. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, I'm asking you just to say, just talk to me. Let us know. Watch the juice go by. Watch the bread go by. This is, this is merely a symbol of what Jesus did for us today. As believers, we reflect. As believers, we anticipate. May we live our lives in complete anticipation because of what Jesus did, because of the birth, because of Christmas. We live that kind of life. Listen, would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes just where you are?
the heads bowed and eyes closed for the last of these things because it just makes makes me want to make fun of you and make fun of you. If you're here this morning, no, nobody's looking around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, maybe today's your day. Maybe today is the day that that you decide, you know what? I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Maybe you're going to watch the TV go past and the bread go past, and, and you've got more questions. Listen, I'll, I'll be around at the end, Brother Brian. We'll, we, we would love to have that conversation with you. Why don't we lay hands on you? If you're here this morning, and you know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, reflect on that sacrifice that Jesus has made bread represented his body. The juice represented his blood that he shed on Calvary's tree. May it be a time of reflection. May it be a time to lay those thoughts behind you. That ancient thing, that messianic thing. May we just lay that all at his feet this morning as we take this meal. But may it also be a great time of anticipation anticipation for the day that we long for and everything right. Our sickness is gone, our hurt is gone, our pain is gone, our death is gone, the anticipation of sitting at the place that God has prepared for us. And so, Father, here in these moments, here we go. We thank you for your body and your blood. work our way to be in favor with you. We can't give our way to be in favor with you, Father. All we can do is believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, and believe that he rose again on the third day. That's the only way that we can make that atonement. You can forgive us and we go. Hear our cries. Hear our hurts. Hear our anxious days. Father, walk with us